mentioned last week that research has shown that in the UK, theft by staff from their employers adds up to around £200 million per year. And employee fraud uh, accounts for about another £40 million in losses. Now, I, I think they're probably quite conservative estimates, um, given my own experience in the workplace. Not here, obviously, but in a previous life. Last Sunday, we looked at the account of a man in the New Testament of the Bible, a man called Onesimus, who was a slave, and he stole from his master, a guy called Philemon. Now, we don't know all the details. I doubt that Onesimus stole 200 million pounds from Philemon, but whatever he stole, when he got found out, or perhaps he feared being found out, he ran away. He legged it. He ran away from where he was living, which was in a city called Colossae, which was in what is now modern-day Western Turkey, and he went all the way to Rome right across, kind of halfway across the, the Roman Empire. And he came into contact with the Apostle Paul, who was one of the main church leaders in the New Testament era. And Paul, at that point, was in prison for preaching about Jesus. And we don't know all the details, as I've said, but what we do know is that Onesimus then became a Christian through Paul whilst Paul was in prison. And sometime later, after Onesimus became a, not just a, a convert to Christianity, but actually a key member of Paul's team there in Rome. Uh, Paul sent him back to where he'd come from, alongside a guy called Tychicus, to the church there in Colossae with two letters. And one of the letters he, he went with was a letter to that whole church there in Colossae. And the second, and, and, and that's the book that we call Colossians in the New Testament. But the second letter that he took with him was a personal letter, which was addressed to Philemon, who was the guy Onesimus had stolen from, and to, uh, Ines- uh, and, and, and to Philemon's family and to the church that met in their home. They're part of that, that wider church in Colossae. In Colossae. So we're going to read the second of those two letters, not the book of Colossians, but we're going to read this personal letter again that we read last week, which was this letter from uh, Paul to Philemon to his family, Aphia and Archippus. So if you've got a Bible handy and you want to turn with me, and you, or you can just listen as I read it, whatever you're comfortable doing. So this is what uh, Paul's letter from prison in the hands of Onesimus to Philemon and his family says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. To Aphia, our sister. To Archippus, our fellow soldier. And to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. So that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to me, but sorry, both to you and to me. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to, have ke- to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. 
If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Philemon was obviously a wealthy man. He had slaves. He certainly had at least one slave and, and, and probably lots more. And then he became a Christian. And as he became a Christian and, and sort of matured as a Christian, he then became one of the key church leaders there in Colossae. In fact, part of the church there actually had begun meeting in his home. It's worth pointing out that slavery in the Roman Empire was very different in, in general anyway, to the kind of slavery that we might think of in the sort of 18th, 19th centuries, uh, the brutal slave trade that existed then. Lots of slaves in the Roman Empire period, and, and in this kind of time when Paul is writing, were really kind of treated as being part of the extended family, that they, they just weren't free to leave. Now, some had worse times than others, but in general, they weren't brutally oppressed, they were well looked after, and some actually became doctors and lawyers, but were owned by their slave master. So it was a very different kind of slavery. However, the Bible never approves of slavery, quite the opposite. But instead of encouraging the slaves to rise up and, and gain their freedom, it encourages them in the New Testament, that those who become Christians, to make the best of their situation. Because it just wasn't possible for a, what was really a tiny group of people in this massive Roman Empire to suddenly change uh, government policy or Roman policy or the whole culture of slavery. That just wasn't possible. And if the church, if Paul and the others had tried to get the church to take a stand on this, that had just been uh, all put to death and the church would have been wiped out. So instead of trying to change things, it was about trying to live and, and, and do the best you could within the situations you have, both for Christians who became slave owners, or, 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 or slave owners who became Christians rather, and also for slaves who, found, who became Christians. Do the best that they could. And actually, Paul has quite a lot to say about slave masters and slaves themselves in the book of Colossians that, that Onesimus was also carrying with him. And so Philemon had become a Christian, and he was no doubt doing his best the fact that he was a church leader and the things that Paul says about him in this letter tell us this. He was doing his best to put his faith into action and to look after the, the slaves that he found himself responsible for as, as their owner. But then one of his slaves, Onesimus, had stolen from him. And he'd run away. And I guess that Philemon would have been pretty angry and annoyed with Onesimus. Just because he's a Christian doesn't mean that he's not going to be angry or upset or offended because one of his slaves, effectively in a kind of a modern situation, one of his employees, has stolen from him. Of course he would be. Now, we're not sure just how badly Onesimus actually wronged Philemon, but Paul says this in verse 18. If he's done you any wrong, and Paul's already saying, well, of course he has, or owes you anything, then charge it to me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I'm sure Paul knew what Onesimus had done, but we don't. What we do know, however, is that Philemon then faces this big choice. What is he going to do with Onesimus? Onesimus rocks up at his front door with this letter, two letters from Paul, and Philemon is faced with this choice. How is he going to react to Onesimus coming back? How is Philemon going to react to Onesimus? Paul says this in verse 12, I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. 
I wonder what Philemon thought when he read that. Maybe, maybe word of mouth had actually reached Philemon. We don't know. This is certainly an official letter from Paul. Maybe Philemon kind of was prepared and and did already know because word of mouth had, had reached him. We don't know that. But I wonder what Philemon thought when he opened the door and there was Onesimus with this letter and as he read these words from Paul. Basically, Philemon had two options, didn't he? He could have followed his rights under the legal system of the day and punished Onesimus, or he could do what Paul urged him to do, which was to welcome him as you would welcome me. Now, given that Paul and Philemon were incredibly close, that, that's a real ask, isn't it? Welcome him as you would welcome me, says Paul. Now, it's difficult for us to get inside Philemon's head because we, don't, we just don't know exactly what, what uh, Onesimus did and how serious an offense it was, but he'd certainly stolen something from Philemon. But let's suppose it's really serious, and I think that the kind of letter implies that it was. Paul says to Philemon, I want you to not only forgive him, but I want you to now forget that he's your slave. I want you to set him free from slavery. I want you to treat him as your spiritual brother. Philemon was clearly a godly man. Paul says this in verse 4, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Now, when the Bible talks about saints, it's talking about Christians. Every time you you read that word saint, it just means God's holy people. So uh, Paul was commending Philemon on his love for all the Christians there in Colossae. So Philemon loved all God's people and he was Paul's friend and he was Paul's fellow worker. He's a great guy, evidently, somebody that we would probably today think, yeah, Philemon, just a great godly man. But none of that would mean that he wasn't immune to anger and bitterness and a desire to to get even or certainly to get some justice. This guy had stolen from him. It was was wrong. Yet Paul encourages Philemon to accept Onesimus back as a brother in Christ, as a fellow Christian, and to free him from his position as a slave and allow him to work with Paul. It's a big ask, isn't it? That's that's a massive thing for Paul to ask Philemon to do. And Paul even goes so far as to offer to repay whatever Onesimus has taken from Philemon. Paul says, charge it to me. I'll deal with it. I wonder what you would do or what you would have done if you were Philemon. How would you have reacted if you were Philemon? If if that was you this morning, I wonder how you would have reacted or, or felt about Onesimus. I'm not sure what I'd think or, or how I would have behaved if it was me. I know what I'd like to think I might have done, but none of us really know, do we, until we're in that kind of situation. And it's on this issue that real church fellowship and family stands or falls. Fellowship can be defined as this, our common bond in Jesus. Our common bond in Jesus. And real fellowship, that, that common bond in Jesus, can only survive in a local church family like ours or in any other church family If we're prepared to forgive one another when we sin against each other or upset each other or hurt one another. Paul doesn't ask Philemon to now entrust his life savings to Onesimus. He doesn't say, hand your business over to him. There's a real difference between forgiveness and then trusting the person you're forgiving. Those are two different things. But Paul reaches out to Philemon looking for him to somehow show forgiveness and grace to Onesimus. And grace is simply treating a person in a way that they don't deserve. That's what God has done with us, and that's what God had done with Onesimus. Onesimus had received God's grace and God's forgiveness. His life was transformed, as we saw last week, and he'd become uh, a follower of Jesus. He'd become a Christian. 
And Paul is now looking for, an, for Philemon to extend the same forgiveness and grace to Onesimus. The same forgiveness and grace that Philemon himself had received from God when he had put his trust in Jesus. The reputation of our local church, our, our, our local Christian family, should be that we are known for our love for one another. That should be the reputation that we have. One of the things that should really shine out uh, to non-Christians, especially around us, is our sacrificial love to one another, to those who belong to our Christian family, our church. Paul was encouraging Philemon to be really, really radical. He was encouraging him to forgive Onesimus, but not only that, to lift him out of slavery and to set him free. And, you know, when the world around us starts to see us applying the radical teachings of Jesus, and Jesus' teachings are radical, when they start to see us applying those radical teachings of Jesus to our relationships with one another and to those around us, the world around us will really sit up and take notice. Jesus said this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus doesn't say the world will know by, the, by how good your evangelism program is or your website or your building, and that's a good job in our case. The world will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. Forgiving those who hurt us or offend us or actually actively sin against us is, is right at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, especially with regards to other Christians. Nothing keeps a Christian in bondage to the past more than an unwillingness to forgive. And nothing gives Satan a greater opportunity to damage a church than unforgiveness and the bitterness that accompanies that unforgiveness. A hurt that hasn't been dealt with, in other words, when someone hasn't forgiven another person, is one of Satan's greatest weapons against us. It really is. When, when Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he, he talks about the need to forgive, and he says this, Anyone you forgive, I also forgive him, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Paul very clearly links unforgiveness, refusing to forgive a brother or sister, a Christian brother or sister, with allowing Satan to outwit us. When we refuse to forgive others, we're basically falling for Satan's schemes. We allow Satan to dictate the play. He gets to be the one who's calling the shots in our church family. When we refuse to forgive, we're falling for Satan's schemes and his plans. It's exactly what he wants. And he sits there and he laughs at us. He's desperate to keep us in a state of unforgiveness with each other because then he's actually in charge. We're playing to his schemes. The same theme comes out in Ephesians 4 where Paul says this, Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. It's not the anger that's the issue. There's nothing wrong with anger in itself. God gets angry. It, it's the fact that we haven't dealt with the cause of the anger. And we need to deal with the cause of the anger before we go to bed that night, says Paul. And if we don't deal with the cause of the anger, in other words, if we don't forgive the person that sinned against us, then we give, according to Paul, the devil a foothold in our lives. And, and the Greek word for foothold is literally a place. When we refuse to forgive our brothers, our, our Christian brothers and sisters, then we open up a door in our lives to Satan, and he gets a foothold. He gets a place in our lives, and we allow him to lodge there and begin to influence us. And, and what happens is that we become angry, and we become bitter, and we end up developing sometimes a real active hatred towards the other person, and Satan just has a field day. Satan is laughing all the way. 
And, and things like grace and love just go flying out the window. People stop talking to each other. They start avoiding each other. They, they talk about each other. And, and, and things like grace and love just disappear. And it doesn't just cause the obvious problems on the surface between people. But it has a spiritual effect as well in people's lives because everything ultimately is spiritual. It's often the case that when you dig down to find out what lies behind the problems a person is struggling with, that you find the real root problem is a refusal to forgive somebody, perhaps from last week, perhaps from 10, 20, 30 years ago. When, you, when we refuse to forgive, we give Satan a foothold in our lives, and that foothold can so often, not always, but often lead to, to kind of entrenched patterns of sin in our lives or to things like depression, and even sometimes it will manifest itself in physical illness. See, we need to forgive to prevent Satan taking advantage and gaining influence. Everything is spiritual. There's nothing that we do physically that does, isn't kind of going on at a spiritual level as well. So we need to actively be forgiving in order, as much as anything, to prevent Satan taking advantage of us and getting a foothold in our lives. If, if we don't forgive right from our heart, then we will experience mental torment. And, and often the person that we are angry with won't even realize that they've offended or hurt us. And, and the reality is in church life, that's probably the norm. People generally don't deliberately set out to be nasty to us. It's just unintended things that happen. And we perhaps understandably take offense or are hurt, but we need to deal with that hurt. And sometimes even if a person is aware, they might not even care. So who is the one that's most affected by our unwillingness to forgive? It's not the other person. It's not the offender. It's, it's us, isn't it? We're the ones who are walking around with this kind of bitterness that's eating us up inside. The Bible says this, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. When we fail to forgive a person, then we become bitter. And that bitterness then will lead or can lead to all sorts of other unpleasant behavior. The way that we get rid of bitterness is to forgive from the heart. Bitterness is often caused by a lack of forgiveness. If you find a, bit, a bitter person, you will often find somebody who is withholding forgiveness from somebody else. And that might sometimes be 10, 20, 30 years ago. Hebrews 12, 15 says this, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Other people are also affected. If I, withhold bitter, if I withhold forgiveness and I become bitter and I'm missing God's grace and I'm forgetting about God's grace, then I just become a pain to be around for everybody. If you show me a bitter person, you will nearly always find behind that bitterness somebody who is refusing to forgive. And our bitterness will affect everyone in our church family. It causes trouble and it will affect, often it will affect everybody. And the point here in this verse is that God has been gracious to us. And we can't, on the one hand, accept God's grace to us, whilst at the same time refuse then to show God's grace to others. That would be missing the grace of God. Every sin that I've ever committed and ever will commit is, first and foremost, a sin against God. And yet, because of Jesus, I've been forgiven. My sins have been removed, past, present, and future. And what an amazing God we have. We're, we're going to think about that in a, in a moment as we take bread and wine together the grace and the forgiveness and the love of God. And, and God doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't already done for us. 
The call is to forgive each other just as in Christ God has forgiven us. In the other letter that Onesimus has kind of got in his pocket as he goes to see Philemon is this letter to the church in Colossae. And in that letter we read these words, forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And, and perhaps Paul writing that has Philemon in mind, knowing that Philemon's part of that church. We're going to have grievances. It's part of living in the real world. You put two or three people in a room together, sooner or later, there's going to be sparks fly, there's going to be irritations, annoyances, and hurts. It is just normal life. It's part of living in the real world. But we need to be able, we need to do this thing called forgiveness. And, and, and the model for forgiveness is the Lord's forgiveness to us. An unforgiving Christian is a contradiction in terms because a Christian is a forgiving one. We can't be a forgiven one and then not be forgiving ourselves towards others when we've already been forgiven so much by God. But forgiveness is really hard to do, isn't it? Forgiveness is really hard to do. Or am I the only one who finds that hard when someone hurts you? Sometimes the things or, or, or some of the things that happen to us can really hurt. Some of those words that are said about us or to us can be really, really painful and really hurtful. Or some of the actual perhaps physical things that happen to us at the hands of others can leave dreadful, horrendous scars. And our natural reaction is to want vengeance, isn't it? That's kind of the natural instinct in our hearts. When something bad happens to us, we want vengeance. And I'm guessing that Philemon probably felt that way about Onesimus, certainly initially anyway. And, and when we feel like that, it's okay because it, it, it's a natural response. To desire justice is actually a good thing. God is a God of justice. And God will bring justice. And God has brought justice. The reason that Jesus had to die on the cross was to satisfy God's demand for justice. Our sins had to be paid for by someone. And, and Christ's death enabled God's demand for justice to be met. But there's a difference between vengeance and revenge. Vengeance is when a person faces justice, but revenge is when we repay sin with further sin carried out by ourselves. There's a difference between vengeance and revenge. Vengeance is when justice is meted out rightly. Revenge is when we take things into our own hands and repay sin with sin. And the Bible says this, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. And most of the time we know that we can't get actual revenge, but what we kind of do is that we think that we'll at least get some satisfaction by not forgiving the other person. It'll make us feel better. We will we'll withhold our forgiveness against somebody else and, 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 and that'll make us feel better. But the reality is that that's not the way it works. Actually, the opposite happens. You know, most of the time when someone sins against us, the other person won't even know they've done it. And they might not have sinned as such, but we've just understandably perhaps taken offense at something. And, and the other person won't know so who loses out in that situation when we refuse to forgive that person? Not the other person. We're the ones who lose out. We're the ones who are left with that kind of sore in our hearts. We're the ones who are bitter and twisted. We're the ones that are affected, not the other person. It's, it's kind of like walking along a riverbank and walking past a fisherman who's casting his line. And as you do so, there's a hook kind of, you know, and, and, and you get the hook on the line and it catches you in your cheek. And... It's not, the, it's, it's not the fisherman's fault, and it wasn't your fault, but now you're connected to that person, and it hurts. 
So how do you get rid of the pain? Do you, do you leave the hook in your cheek and say, well, I'm going to kind of do this and this is going to make me feel better. I'm going to leave it there. Or do you remove it? Well, you remove it, don't you? You unhook yourself from that person. You don't leave the hook in place. By, by taking it out, we deal with the problem. We think that by forgiving someone, we let them get away with it. We're not, we're not getting justice. But actually, by not forgiving them, we're the ones who stay hooked to the pain and the past. We're the ones with that hook still in us. We're the ones who are suffering, not the other person usually. Whereas when we choose to forgive from our heart, we are letting the person off our hook, but we're not letting that person off God's hook. The Bible says this, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So where is the justice then in forgiving someone who sinned against us? Well, it's in the cross where Christ died once for all for your sins, for my sins, and for the person who sinned against us sins. God will demand justice for everything that's been done against you and against me. And it, uh, uh, either it will have been already paid for by Jesus' blood on the cross when he died in our place and in their place if they're Christian. Or if they're not a Christian, they will at that final day stand before Jesus and have to face God and face his wrath for their sins. God will settle all accounts. And they're either settled through the cross for the Christian or they're settled through eternal punishment when they stand before Jesus. And when we choose to forgive, what we're doing is we're trusting God to be a righteous judge that will make everything right. God doesn't sweep things under the carpet and pretend they don't matter. God does deal with them. So we need to trust Jesus to deal with our injustices. God is not unjust. He will bring justice to your injustices, either through the cross or when Jesus judges the world. Now, this kind of radical behavior, and it is radical, forgiving people who, like Onesimus, have sinned against us, is what Paul was encouraging Philemon to put into practice and to live out. Given that this letter was preserved for us as part of the Bible, and, and given Paul's confidence as he writes to him to do what he said, we can assume that Philemon and Onesimus were reunited. No longer as slave master and dishonest slave, but as two Christian brothers who loved Jesus and were then part of Paul's kind of wider team serving and spreading the gospel. And what a fantastic example that must have been to non-Christians around them. And, and that's the same kind of radical behavior that God wants us to put into practice. I want to spend some time, though, just, just briefly thinking about what forgiveness is not, because it's often our misunderstandings about what forgiveness is and isn't that prevents us then from forgiving other people. So let's look at some of the things that forgiveness is not. Firstly, forgiveness is not removing the consequences of sin. To take an extreme example, if, if a person has abused you as a child, then if you are able to forgive that person, that would be great, but that doesn't mean that you don't then report them to the authorities. What they've done is illegal, and your forgiveness won't remove the threat they then pose to others. So you can, and, and we should forgive that person, but at the same time, still ensure, and we must ensure, that they face the consequences of their sin so that we protect other people. So forgiveness is not removing the consequences of sin. Secondly, forgiveness is not approving of the action. When you choose to forgive a person, you're not approving of what they've done. You can still disapprove of the action whilst 
choosing to forgive them. And, you know, when God forgave you and forgave me, he didn't uh, pretend that our sins were okay. God still desperately hates the sins that we commit, but he's chosen to forgive us. Forgiving a person is about not allowing what they've done to us in the past to determine how we will then live in the future. But it doesn't mean that we approve of what they've done. So forgiveness is not approving of the action. And forgiveness is not forgetting. People talk about forgive and forget, but is that really biblical? Well, the Bible does say that God will remember our sins no more. That's true. But that doesn't mean that God forgets. God can't forget if he tried. God is all-knowing, and he couldn't forget if he wanted to. What he's saying is that he won't take the past and then drag it up and use it against us in the future or in the present. And that's our model for forgiveness. We can't get rid of a hurt by pretending that it's not hurt us or, tr- or trying to forget it. We can't pretend that something has never happened. There are some things that we will never be able to forget, sadly. And there are some things we shouldn't forget. Our, our knowledge and our awareness of other people's behavior can help us and, uh, and others avoid being hurt by them again in the future. But what we can do is choose not to bring up the past and use it against that person in a vindictive way. So forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not pretending that there's no hurt. Forgiveness isn't pretending. That's just kind of like putting a sticking plaster over a wound and pretending we haven't got one. It's not saying, look, you talked about me, you told lies about me, but hey, that's okay. It's no big deal. Let's just pretend it didn't happen. It did happen. It is a big deal, and I'm still hurting from that. Forgiveness is actually primarily, first and foremost, about coming to God and telling him how much you have been hurt by that other person and then choosing to forgive that person from the bottom of our hearts. Part of forgiveness is about facing up to and confronting the hurt. It's not about brushing it under the carpet. It's about calling it out and identifying it, but then choosing to forgive from the core of our being before God. It's about facing up to and acknowledging the pain and often the hate that we may then end up feeling, that bitterness, and letting God heal us right to our very core. So forgiveness isn't pretending that there's no hurt. Forgiveness isn't excusing or tolerating sin. God never excuses or tolerates sin, and neither should we. And this is particularly true when a person is continually being sinned against, not just a kind of one-off thing from the past, but somebody who's continually being sinned against. We don't excuse that. We don't tolerate that. Imagine a wife who's been beaten and abused by her husband. Forgiveness does not mean that we tell the wife to go back home and allow herself to be beaten all over again. We wouldn't do that if the husband was beating another lady in the church. So we definitely wouldn't do that and shouldn't do that in their marriage. It's completely consistent with God's word for the wife to forgive the husband and then turn him over to the authorities. Because being physically or sexually abused by anyone is sinful and illegal. And, And that kind of sin just tends to run in a cycle. And it will just keep on happening until somebody puts a stop to it. And in the local church context, when someone sins against you, it's right to forgive, yet at the same time to challenge the person as to how they're behaving. Forgiveness doesn't mean we don't call the sin out. Or it might mean that you forgive someone for sinning against you, but then you need to go and involve the elders and get them involved, and that person faces some kind of church discipline. Forgiveness isn't about being a doormat 
and it's not allowing or encouraging sin. We mustn't allow or encourage sin. So forgiveness is not excusing or tolerating sin. Oh, it's just so-and-so. That's just them. We've just got to put up. No, we don't have to put up with it. Forgiveness is not about excusing or tolerating sin. Lastly, forgiveness is not reconciliation. Now, it would be wonderful, and reconciliation is obviously the goal, and that was Paul's goal here with Philemon and Onesimus, but forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. Somebody may have hurt you, and you may be able to forgive from your heart. You may be able to forgive that person, but being reconciled to them is a different matter altogether. We, we, we can forgive somebody. We can set ourselves free from that hook that they have in us, but reconciliation is a different matter altogether. Reconciliation won't always be possible or even advisable in some situations. Jesus said that if we go to church, if we're going to worship and, and we remember that somebody has something against us because of something we have done, then we need to first go and be reconciled to that person. We apologize, we ask them to forgive us, and, and hopefully we'll be reconciled. But when it's the other way around, which is what we're talking about here this morning, and someone has offended or hurt or sinned against us, it's the opposite. We don't go running up to someone and say, hey, hey, I forgive you. What we do is we go to God because forgiveness is first and foremost an issue between us and God. And when before God we've chosen to forgive that person, afterwards we may or may not be reconciled to the other person, but that isn't something that's always in our control. We can't control other people's behavior or how they respond to us. We've got no ability or right to control others all we can do is make sure that we're behaving in a biblical and a Christ-like way ourselves. And what we mustn't do is, after forgiving someone in our heart, privately before God, then go up to, up to them and tell them that we forgive them. Because they, they might be completely oblivious to what they've done. They won't even realize, perhaps, they've hurt us. And, and, and by telling them that, hey, I forgive you, well, for what? What did I do? And then they tell you what you did, and really all that is is you're just making matters worse. We, we make someone who didn't even know that they'd hurt us feel bad and guilty, and all we're doing really is having a go at somebody in a way that it makes it impossible for them to respond. That's not forgiveness. That's just us getting some revenge whilst trying to look spiritual. So forgiveness is not reconciliation. Hopefully, forgiveness will lead to reconciliation. But the two things are not the same thing. And sometimes reconciliation shouldn't happen or can't happen for in, in, in some extreme situations. This deeply personal letter from Paul to Philemon has been preserved for us in the Bible by the Holy Spirit as a model of what grace and forgiveness looks like in action. It's not just some random letter that we, we, we've, we've got here in the Bible that Paul sent to Philemon. It really outlines for us and shows us what forgiveness from God looks like and the way that it transformed Onesimus' life and totally turned him upside down and he became a, uh, a radically committed follower of Jesus from being a thief. But it also shows us what forgiveness and, and, and hopefully reconciliation looks like too. As Philemon is encouraged, and we believe he did, receive Onesimus back, not as a slave this time, not as a thieving slave, but actually as a brother. What a fantastic model for us to follow. It, it, it's hugely challenging, isn't it? This is not easy to do. But it is possible, and it's amazing when we do. Let me close with these words from Psalm 133. Psalmist says this, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore.
how good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Let's just take a few moments to pause and reflect on what we've read today and, 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 and last week. And, and maybe just take a moment to think, you know, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Maybe there's somebody in your life, perhaps what might just be quite a trivial thing on the surface. Somebody's just annoyed you or irritated you over the last week or two. Perhaps you're here in this church. Perhaps me, almost certainly at some point that's going to happen. It's inevitable. Maybe it's something much more serious, something really significant back in your past where somebody has really hurt you, damaged you. True healing can be found in Jesus when we allow God to really heal us to our very core as we practice biblical forgiveness. Let's just bring those hurts and pains to God this morning and choose to forgive those who've sinned against us just as God has forgiven us. And, and, and maybe just a simple prayer is, Lord, I choose to forgive person X for what they did against me and it made me feel like this and this is how I feel, but I, I choose to forgive that person and I ask you now to bless them. Just a prayer like that, a simple prayer, bringing to God that hurt, whatever it was or is, and allowing the Holy Spirit to heal you right to your very heart as you let go of that hook that they have in you. pray and then Daniel's going to come I think and lead us in a prayer of song before we take communion together. Let me just pray. Father, thank you first and foremost for your love to us in sending Jesus, the promised Messiah, the one who came to be our Savior. Thank you that in Jesus we have received forgiveness, that you have forgiven all our sins if we've trusted in you, past, present and future. Thank you that we are forgiven ones. Lord, help us to be also those who forgive others. Lord, we acknowledge this is hard to do. Sometimes it's incredibly hard to do. Sometimes, Lord, we've been sinned terribly against. Help us, we pray, to, to do what can be done and to follow the teachings of your word, to follow you and to forgive those who've sinned against us. Father, thank you for this church family and pray that you would keep us protected from sin, from a lack of forgiveness, from unforgiveness, that no bitterness will defile, will rise up and defile another. Help us to be those who are united in you, whose love for one another tells others that we are all disciples. Lord, we give you thanks for your love to us. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for this Christmas time where we specifically remember how you came into the world to bring us your love, your grace, and your mercy, and your forgiveness. We praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.